family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey, welcome everybody to Case in Point again, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strawn, the president of Paradigm Security. We are excited to be with you once again today on Business Radio X. We're broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel here in Duluth, Georgia. In addition to Paradigm Security Services, this show is also brought to you by Soulsby's Garage. You heard a little clip on them before we came in. They are looking for some good master mechanics uh, he's grown so much and of course like everybody else he's having a hard time getting people to work for him but right now he's just brought in a few and he's looking for one or two more so give john a call at sosby's garage on every show we feature businesses and organizations in the atlanta area especially those that serve gwinnett county and and the people there we, while all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we'll touch on that and other related aspects of security uh, through the course of our shows. Uh, everybody knows, as I start out with themes like lately, uh, it's election season once again. And as I tell people, it's absolutely important to vote, but the most important part of that is to vote informed. Know what your people stand for that you're thinking about voting for. Know what they do. Know their background. Know their history. Know what they do and uh, what they work in. What you know. What they say. Look at their social medias and and join in and and know what that person's about. Uh, don't vote for somebody just because mama and daddy or three generations or five generations or whatever voted for a particular party. You know, the parties are, are one thing, but the people are more important. And today, I am honored to have with me uh, my guest, uh, Zachary Proctor. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Absolutely. He is a candidate for the Georgia House District, New District 101. And the best way to start this out, Zach, is who is Zach Proctor? Well, I guess first and foremost, uh, I am exactly what I always wanted to be is a dad. I've go. got uh, two little girls. Uh, you know, Growing up, I went through several phases of different things I wanted to be when I grow up. But the number one thing that was always the top of the list, I wanted to be a dad. And so that's my number one thing, uh, being a father, being a husband uh, to my two little girls. My wife, she's a teacher in Gwinnett County Public Schools. Great. Um, I'm also an attorney. I own my own uh, practice, so I'm a small business owner as well. And, you know, I'm somebody who I want to see the divisiveness that we've had going on in politics and really in every aspect of our life in this country for the last several years lessen. And I want to see I'm running because I want to see other folks out there know that they can be the next one to run for this seat. 
I feel like right now we've got people who feel like, yeah, I could run for office. And we've got a whole lot of people who think, well, no, that, that's for other kinds of people. That's not for me. And our legislatures are supposed to be the people. Everyone who has got something they want to accomplish should feel like they can run and they can serve. And so that's why I'm pushing things like reform of the ballot. I'd like to not see the word incumbent show up anymore because just the fact that you're in office shouldn't give you an extra boost to be reelected. And I think we need term limits. Um, I've said all along that I will impose a term limit on myself because I don't want to be in there for 20 years. I don't want anybody to be in office for 20 years. I want to see more of our citizens stepping in to be a part of our government and having more of a say in our daily lives. Well, you know, that, that's great. Uh, I like term limits. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that, that should be there. Somebody goes into politics nowadays, they're there for 30, 40 years, and it's, it's just hard to grasp the fact that they can come out multimillionaires after serving in public office. You know, that it's obvious there's things going on there that shouldn't be going on. Uh, and 30, 40 years, that's a career. They need to be out in the working world and need Absolutely. to have people from the working world coming in there and doing that, such as yourself as an attorney. Right, and especially folks in the, in the full-time legislatures, like the U.S. Congress. Absolutely. Some states have got full-time legislators. Um, in Georgia, it's part-time. But for folks that that's their only job, if you stay in that job for 15, 20, 30 years, that's all you know, which means you don't know what daily life is like for all those people that you're supposedly representing. Oh, yeah, you t lose total contact and conception of what that what's all, or perception of what that's all about. You know, one of the big things right now, uh, and you kind of touched on it with your wife as a teacher, is the schools. Uh, there's yes. a big push on right now for a lot of different changes. Uh, people, I was reading something today about uh, someone that was refused access to information that they were going to be teaching their child. And that is, you know, by the Parents' Bill of Rights. But the Parents' Bill of Rights and everything, they're supposed to have access, if upon written request, to anything that their child is, is taught and everything. And, and, of course, school choice, a biggie. Uh, Absolutely. Let's hear where you stand on school choice and some of these other issues. This is maybe the biggest point of divergence between me and my opponent because I am a big proponent of school choice. I believe that we've got good schools, especially here in Gwinnett County, but that's not the case everywhere in the state. And people should have that choice. Even places like we have here where we have good schools, it's not one size fits all. So a child living in one house may be in the perfect situation for them in their public school. But the child next door even though it's a good school, that might not be the right environment for that child to be learning in. And so that parent should have the ability to choose a different place for that child to go to school. And it shouldn't matter if that person can afford to move to a different school district. It shouldn't matter if they can afford to pay for private school. They should have that freedom. Now, there's got to be some engagement by the parents. So of course, if you're deciding to send your child to a public school on the other end of the county, you're going to have to have some kind of involvement in making sure that they can get there. But having some kind of involvement is just more incentive to stay engaged 
and to know what your child is learning, how your child is learning, and if there's anything they need in order to improve the way that's happening. Parents being engaged in their kids' education is crucial. We've seen so many examples where parents just send their kids off to school and then they check out. They don't keep up with what their child's learning. They don't keep up with how well they're learning it. They don't keep up with what they're being taught. And we need parents to be involved. Further, we need better representation and more representation so that parents can then have a say in the education. Right now in Gwinnett County, there's only a handful of people who are on the school board making decisions for this enormous county with this school district with an enormous budget. And so each of those folks is elected by a huge number of people who they really have no ability to interact with but a small fraction of their actual constituents. Mm -hmm. If we had more people on the school board, they'd be representing fewer people and there'd be more of a chance for people to actually interact with their school board representative to say, hey, here's what I do want, here's what I don't want in my child's education. Please reflect that in your votes on the school board. Right now that's not happening because they're representing too many people and can't actually have any interactions with them. Well, I know that uh, one of the big conversations or disagreements is the money that's allocated for that child should it follow the child or should it stay where it is and the child and that to me is one of the biggest struggles because if the child the money doesn't follow the child when the child goes to another school that school's short money the other one has money that they really don't need because that's allocated to that child so kind of where are you at on that general issue well the question there becomes what is the purpose of that money? Mm-hmm. Is the purpose of that money to set up a system? Or is the purpose of that money to educate a child? Exactly. And I believe it's there to educate a child. So that money should follow that child. Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, I am totally on board with you on that. Uh, that's one of the big issues because we have the uh, all these different uh, curriculums that are coming out that are just really abhorrent to me uh we need to keep our kids educated not indoctrinated as is is becoming a cliche anymore that's right but it's really true uh we don't need them indoctrinated into a certain way of thinking we need them to learn what they need to learn to operate in life outside and that really comes down again to the local control of schools exactly if there are communities that want to teach certain things to their students and the parents agree with that, then fine. I have no problem if they want to teach critical race theory in a community where the majority of parents want that taught to their kids. But in another community that says, no, no. teaching white kids that they're racist because they were born white is wrong, we don't want that taught, then it shouldn't be taught there. We're te- teaching black kids that you're a victim just because you're black. Exactly. You know, that is so wrong. Absolutely. So, if you believe you're a victim, then it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. If you believe you have a chance and you've got a place that you can succeed, that also will be self-fulfilling. Exactly. we got a lot of things. Um, there, income tax uh, or state tax returns and stuff. We've had a lot of money sent back. There's big arguments about do we spend the money on the Democrat side? <laughs> do we return the money on the Republican side? Personally, I'm for returning the money. I think I spend far too much in taxes anyway. 
But uh, there's a lot of talk about tax reform. Uh, you've got the uh, consumption-based tax. Uh, you've got the uh, uh, different platforms for tax. Uh, kind of where are you at on the state income tax deal? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the rebate versus reinvest mm -hmm. the tax surplus. I worked on Capitol Hill uh, right out of college back in 2002 to 2004 for a Georgia congressman, uh, Max Burns, who is actually in the state Senate now and is supporting me, thankfully. Uh, but that was a big issue that we were dealing with then because there was a tax surplus. Back then, of course, we had a Republican majority, so of course there was a tax surplus. <laughs> and that same debate was happening of, do we give this money back to the people we took it from, or do we spend this? And again, it was on party lines as to where we go. And so again, the Republicans were in the majority, so we did end up giving uh, tax breaks and tax, sending tax money back to the voters. And that's what we need to be doing in Georgia as well. I'm running for the state house. So I will only be able to affect policy in the state of Georgia, right. which means that what they're doing in Washington, D.C., which is being run by the Democrats currently, and they are wrecking our economy. They are causing horrible inflation. Our grocery bills have gone up so much that we're actually having to change our diets. Yeah. And we have had to cut out certain things that we used to eat on a regular basis because we just can't afford it anymore. And we had to adjust our household budget. They're messing that up, and we can't fix that on the state level. What we can do is try to make sure that Georgians keep more money in their pockets so that inflation doesn't hurt them quite as much. If everything's costing more, we need to make sure that you're keeping more of your paycheck. And that's part of the reason why I think that we need to move to eliminate the state income tax and go to a consumption-based tax instead. The great thing about consumption-based tax is if you think about our current system, where you measure your income, you report that income to the Department of Revenue, and then they decide how much you pay. Usually we pay ahead of time, and then they decide if you get any of that money back or not. Right. Well, you think about the criminals out there. I was a prosecutor for a couple of years. I've done criminal defense work for years. You've got a whole lot of people out there whose jobs aren't legal, and they, and they aren't reporting taxes. any income. Yeah. You've got people who will come into court being charged with drug trafficking, and they'll say, yeah, I need you to appoint me a free lawyer. They'll say, okay, how much money did you earn last year? None. And they'll say, okay, you get a free lawyer being paid for by the county. Then they pull out their brand new iPhone, and they put in the phone number of that new lawyer. They're wearing $1,000 tennis shoes, and it's because they've got a great income, but it's illegal. They're doing it trafficking in drugs. They're doing it through prostitution, something along those lines. Well, guess what? Under a consumption-based tax, those people pay exactly the same amount of tax that you and I do because they are not paying their tax by reporting what they make. They're paying tax based on what they buy. So that's, that would, that's actually different than the fair tax. It's very similar. The fair tax is a version of a consumption tax. Mm -hmm. um, and I do like the fair tax. I think that is something that we can strive for. Yeah, either or. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, depending on the, the complexities of it. Right. Really, it just gets down to exactly how we do it. Uh, they both are a consumption-based tax and are something that we want to go for. Well, I'm all for that because, you know, you hear it all the time about pay their fair share. You know, 
of course, they can't define what fair share is unless they say, well, if you make enough, we want 60, 70, 80 percent of it. Uh, but I think the fair share is through your consumption or through a fair tax where you, you know, if you spend the money, then the taxes come out there. It doesn't make any sense to increase taxes, which is really a penalty, and penalize people who have found enough success that they can afford to give other people jobs. No, I totally agree with that. Well, you know, and, and as you move through reforms and everything, you've got the tax reform, but you also, there's discussions about mental health reform. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're at on that. That is something that I'm very interested in because I think if we can make a positive impact on mental health, that is going to have far, far lasting effects that are going to improve every aspect of life in Georgia and across the country, really. And if we look at the current state of mental health, they did a very good thing this past term in the state house. They passed a mental health reform bill, which forces healthcare insurance companies to treat mental health more like regular physical health, which is a very good thing because a lot of people were not able to get mental health treatment that they needed because it was excluded from their policies. Selective treatment. Correct. And so now we're going to have a whole lot more people who need treatment getting the treatment that they need and getting it paid for by their insurance. But we've got a long way to go. If you look at the history of mental health treatment in America, you look back to the 60s and the 70s, and there was a anti-psychiatry movement that came in. Mm-hmm. And um, then it was made worse by the popularity of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. First it was a play, then uh, Jack Nicholas. Uh, I think he won an Oscar for yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, great movie. Uh, I don't have any problem with the movie, but it did, it did teach people negative stuff. a negative uh, way to look at mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. And surely there probably was quite a bit of abuse back in those days in mental health facilities and historically. We're in a different time now where we have more awareness of the risk of that. We've got more technology to be able to monitor and make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. More accountability. Exactly. We need to bring back long-term residential mental health care for the indigent. Right now, if your family's got money and you need to be somewhere where you're living with round-the-clock mental health care, they can pay to have that done. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have the money and it's very expensive, there's nowhere for you to go. Uh, Being a criminal defense attorney, I dealt with several clients who had severe mental health problems, but there was nowhere for them to go. I would field phone calls from a mother saying, yes, we had to call the police on our adult son because we thought he was going to hurt us, but we love him and we don't want him in prison. We were hoping that the state was gonna step in and give him a place to stay and get treatment but then they find out that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We have got some state mental health care facilities in Georgia, but nothing long-term for the indigent. And that means we have a lot of people who are going without care, who are just out in society. And one, that causes a major strain on their families and those who care about them to try to take care of them and to try to deal with the stress of dealing with somebody who's unpredictable because of these mental health issues. They are a drain because a lot of them cannot maintain a job. 
unable to, and it leads to substance abuse because they try to self-medicate or they're just the kind of folks who are more susceptible to addiction and it leads to homelessness. And so all of those aspects of our lives can be improved. Our law enforcement can be served by the fact that we're getting treatment for folks who might otherwise be having law enforcement entanglements. Mm -hmm. It will reduce their workload. It will make it where police get to be police and not try to be mental health social workers. Exactly. So if we can have real meaningful reform of our mental health and bring back long-term residential mental health care for the indigent, I think we will see a major improvement in our standard of life. Well, you mentioned public safety and law enforcement. You know, there's a in connection with mental health. Um, kind of two points here with public safety is, you know, one is a connection to mental health, how it affects it and how, how it's dealt with. And the other is um, the law enforcement and the bonding of them and, and, and all that. So kind of take first with the mental health and then let's look at the law enforcement and uh, the bonding. Sure. Like I said, the right now a large portion of what police are dealing with on a day-to-day basis out in the streets, a lot of it has to do with untreated mental health. And if we can actually get care to the people who need it, that is going to reduce quite a bit of stress on police officers because a lot of the most dangerous people that they encounter are folks who would be treated with mental health treatment. The most dangerous kind of call for a police officer to respond to is a domestic violence incident because tempers are up. They don't know what's happening in there. They don't know who's the aggressor and who is not. Even if they can determine who's the aggressor, a lot of times they step in to arrest that person and suddenly they're getting attacked by the victim. I can tell you firsthand from from a law enforcement background, that is the worst call that we hated going on. I'm sure. That, that's where we see most police officers getting injured or even killed. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that stems from mental health. You get people who are undiagnosed or who are untreated. They get in relationships and they can't sustain those relationships and the relationships get strained and they become violent and then police get called out to those situations. That would be reduced quite a bit if we had effective mental health treatment across the state. On that subject, one quick question is, how does it get paid for? That is a question that we're gonna have to deal with. And that is something that we will probably have to explore. That's one of these things, it's a complicated enough issue that we can't step in and just introduce a bill saying, hey, let's bring back, let's open some mental health hospitals we are going to have to probably have a committee put together for a few years that is going to explore how much exactly is this going to cost what is the best way to do it then we can start looking at okay we know how much it's going to cost us to do it where can we cut from the budget and what other methods of generating revenue do we have obviously i'm a conservative i don't want to raise taxes i want to find some other way that we can raise taxes not raise taxes. So whether we can raise that revenue without raising taxes. Exactly. Um, now the law enforcement. Let's talk a little bit about that. Law enforcement, uh, that you and I were speaking a little bit before we went on the air uh, about your experience in law enforcement, and thank you for your years of service. Appreciate it. We have got a major problem with morale in police departments across the country, let alone in Georgia right now. And a big part of that is you had a 
huge segment of the political world pushing to defund them for years and trying to depict all police officers as bad people, as racist, as people who just don't care about the people they are going out and having to deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I think, as I said to you before, if you act as though all police officers are dirt, well, sooner or later, the only people who are going to want to become police officers are people who think of themselves that way. Absolutely correct. Law enforcement is a noble profession that is populated by vast majority of good people who want to do good for their community. We need to stop treating them like they're the criminals. And we need to do that by introducing our police officers in a peaceful way to the rest of the community. We need more interaction between the community and the police. And so we need to look at different initiatives we can have where folks have an opportunity to meet this person wearing a badge to say, hey, this, this is actually a good person. You know, they don't seem anything like what I've been told on the news or what I've seen in music videos or whatever they're getting their news from. Um, TikTok, things like that. We need to be exposing our police officers to the public so that they can see, hey, these, these are, are our brothers people. and sisters. You know, they're just regular people who want to do a good job. They want to protect you. And what you're seeing in the news is not reflective of the person actually holding that badge. Absolutely. I know there's a, I'm, I stay in close contact with the law enforcement community, both through social media and through personal media or personal ways. And, you know, it's a shame. We talk to, amongst each other, and it's a shame the way that it's portrayed of an almost instant guilt Mm-hmm. And, and not given the benefit of the doubt when something comes up. And the way the media per, 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 portrays it now is they portray it as an immediate guilt. And then well, you have to do. back up from it. Not only and the media, but you deal with the, the administrations. Right, the administration and the politicians. Absolutely. And when you go down that road, it's hard to get the perception. I mean, reality is perception. Right. And it's hard to change the per, the reality uh, perception of where these officers are and what's gone, what actually happened, and because the reality of it may be one thing, but they have just beat these drums like crazy, and drilled into everybody that there was something wrong, when it may have been absolutely nothing else on a split second decision that that officer could do. Right, and I'm very glad to see that we've got. So many more officers now are wearing body cams Absolutely. because that protects the officer. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that that's going to solve all the ills because it's very easy for a layperson to watch a video and then armchair quarterback it and say, oh, well, heck, that was the wrong decision. Sure it is. You know, it's we can't be second guessing the decision making of someone whose life is on the line, having to make a decision very, very quickly with limited information based on what we know a week later, seeing everything and reading background about the whole situation, that's something that people are not gonna understand. But having that video there is a whole lot better than not having that video there. Oh, absolutely, it can work both ways. It can, it can uh, show where you did something wrong and it can also show where you didn't. Too many times people take pieces of it, uh, the media takes pieces of it, they put it up and it's hard to make judgments unless you see the whole thing. 
and very seldom does anyone ever get to see the whole thing. Well, that problem goes much broader than just in law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Video has become a political weapon now. Oh, absolutely. That people will edit videos, just show you little clips. Um, you know, it happened some in print before as well, where they'd print, you know, a part of somebody's sentence in a quote or print something totally out of context and say that it meant something that they clearly did not mean. Absolutely. But it's much more effective when you do that with video. It's if you actually see and hear a statement coming from somebody, even if you can think about later, well, they might have gone on to say something else to put that in context later, it's still in your mind. Yeah. And it's very, very effective. Yeah, once the perception is given, it's hard to pull it back. Absolutely. Uh, especially when it's pounded on. Well, what about your legislative experience? Have you, you know, can you tell me something about that? What have you, what have you done in that way? Sure. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, one of my first jobs after I graduated from college was I went and worked on Capitol Hill. Uh, now, U State Senator Max Burns was in the U.S. House. Um, he was elected in 2002, and uh, I first came in just answering the phones and giving tours of the Capitol in his office and quickly worked my way up to uh, dealing with correspondence with the constituents and then actually moved up to being a legislative assistant for him. I was in charge of all of his uh, health care policy. Um, I worked a lot on judicial policy, all Second Amendment issues, and anything having to do with uh, anything with foreign affairs. I was kind of his expert on those issues, which means that I would research any new bills coming through and talk to uh, constituents, talk to professionals and lobbyists and find out, you know, what kind of initiatives are we looking at? What do we need to see introduced and then help maybe put together legislation or see what legislation's out there and see, do we want to support this? Do we want to see if we can amend this? So I'm very, very intimately aware of the legislative process. A lot of folks, when they first get elected, they have to come in and they really need to learn yeah, they have to go back and watch Schoolhouse Rock on how a, uh, how a bill becomes a law <laughs> yeah. to see exactly what you need to do, how the sausage is made. Um, I've seen that. I've helped make the sausage. So I know exactly what goes from actually having an idea about a bill to getting a draft of a bill written up, getting it dropped, going through committees, the amendment process, and then going down to the floor and arguing for it. And then you've got the complicated process of going back and forth. We have a bicameral system with a House and a Senate, and you've got to get both bodies to agree to it, and there's going to be changes going back and forth. It's a very complicated process. I'm, I think I've got a good head start on that, having already worked in that arena before. Sounds good. Well, here's kind of pretty much the last question I got for you, important question. Why should people vote for you over your opponent? It's all about policies. Uh, my opponent, if you speak with him, he's a really nice guy. You're going to walk away saying, hey, I really like him. And I do, too. Uh, last time he and I were at an event together in person, we gave each other a big hug in front of the whole room because we genuinely like each other. So this is not a case where I think he's a bad person. And I don't think he should be in there. It's a case where the policies that he supports are the same kind of policies that have caused havoc in major cities like Atlanta, like L.A. and San Francisco and Chicago and Washington, D.C., where we see rising crime, we see poverty, we see homelessness, we see drug use. I'm not one of the people that will look at a Democrat and say, 
I think they want to institute socialism in America. I think they hate the country and they want us to fail. Everybody wants the same thing. It doesn't matter if you've got an R next to your name or D next to your name. Ultimately, you want to see you and all of your neighbors living a safe, healthy, prosperous life. Where we disagree is what policies actually get us there and which ones actually do more harm than good. And the left-wing policies that my opponent will be supporting, they're the ones that actually do more harm than good. They want to improve people's lives who have got drug addiction problems, but they end up enabling them and making the problem worse and driving them to homelessness and driving them to commit crimes. They talk about bond reform because they think, well, we, we're keeping poor people in jail for misdemeanor crimes for forever because they can't afford bail. But what they end up doing is they eliminate bail for serious criminals. And we talked about the morale of police officers. What does it say to a police officer that they lock up a dangerous criminal and then that person immediately gets released and put back out to commit more crimes? It says a lot, let me tell you. So I will be pursuing conservative policies that have been proven to actually do good and improve the standard of living that we're going to have here in the state of Georgia. Well, I know those unintended consequences are hell. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Zach, I appreciate very much you being here uh, and putting this out on the first and letting people. And I want to stress again, if you have any more questions, I've got a whole lot of other things I could ask you, but unfortunately we're limited on time. But if anybody can think of questions that they want to ask Zach and get his uh, opinions on, his position on, and I strongly suggest that you do that, uh, as well as with his opponent, get their positions on it, find out what they're, what, how they react and what their solutions are. And how would they get in touch with you? Uh, we can use my website, which is ZachProctorForStateHouse.com. Uh, now, the trick there is that Zach is spelled Z-A-C-H, and Proctor is spelled P-R-O-C-T-E-R. Everybody always wants to spell Zach with a K and Proctor with an O-R. So uh, you got to spell it right to get there. But also, if you just Google me, uh, even if you spell it wrong, I think you can find the website. Uh, folks can also find me on Twitter at Razor Catch Prey and on uh, Instagram at uh, Proctor Zach. And then, of course, on Facebook, uh, Zach Proctor for State House. Um, if folks want to donate, we also have a donation site. It's uh, politics.raisethemoney.com slash E-N slash Z Proctor. It's a lot to remember. It is a lot to remember. So uh, again. Just, if you go to the website, again, it's uh, Zach Proctor for statehouse.com or the donation site, which you can link to off of there, maybe easier, is politics.raisethemoney.com slash E-N for the English language slash Z Proctor. And Sounds so I great. do welcome everybody to uh, go check out the website, uh, look at our platform to keep more money in Georgians' pockets, to build safer communities, and to keep parents engaged in their kids' education. Well, those are all important points, and I appreciate you coming on and giving us your look at it, and wish you a lot of luck in your race. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Well, it was enjoyable having you, and it was a lot of good information. So... Thank you all for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services and in part by Sosby's Garage. Be sure to join us for the live broadcast every other Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. here on Business Radio X. If you miss the live broadcast, no worries. You can enjoy the show anytime by visiting businessradiox.com. 
selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, click on Case in Point. This program is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite uh, podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe. Please hit that subscribe button to Case in Point so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. And for my guest, Zach Proctor, and that's with an E-R, and my producer, Mike, remember, I am Rick Strawn. And again, remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets. <laughs>